We actually have successfully syndicated deals with partners before. Triple Deckers in the Boston area, one like nine unit. And so immediately when we did that, I was like, oh, this is highly scalable. And if my role is just to bring the deal, it doesn't really matter how big the deal gets as long as my partner is capable of closing. You're listening to another episode of the HomePoint Experience, where we share our experiences from building a real estate company, as well as the experience of friends in real estate we meet along the way. Today, we have a special guest, Ben Simon, to the show, founder of Archer Acquisitions. And Archer Acquisitions has a lot of astonishing similarities to how HomePoint started, starting out with wholesaling properties and then diving into buying their own deals. So I'm super excited to have Ben to the show today to share you know, the lessons learned along his path and what the future holds for him. So without further ado, thank you so much for being here, Ben, and welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm excited to have a conversation. It has definitely uh, been a little while since we first connected. Definitely, brother. Definitely. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. So uh, let's just dive right into this, Ben. Can you tell us how you got started in, in real estate and how you got started in starting Archer Acquisitions? Sure. Uh, so I first got started in about three years ago. I uh, had been running a couple companies in the cannabis industry, and then I transitioned into real estate for a number of reasons. Cannabis is definitely a very sexy industry, and it's a lot of fun, but it's also uh, crazy and a little bit less stable. And I was looking also to maybe transition into something that I was like, I was like passionate about the cannabis industry. And while I do love real estate, it's more, I love the type of work that I'm doing in real estate. And so I was looking for something that was a little bit easier to clock out of at the end of the day mentally. And so I transitioned into real estate mostly for those for those reasons. And then also uh, my family, well, specifically my dad, he did commercial real estate and he did uh, quite well. So that was a good example of uh, success. And so I uh, kind of started a little burnt out from some of my entrepreneurial ventures. And I started by just working for a property manager and a developer, uh, mostly in the South Boston and Mission Hill area. That gave me some exposure. Then I became an agent for like two months and then COVID hit. And I had had enough experience working as a buyer's agent for investors in Boston to realize that there was probably a better way to deliver value than just showing them properties on MLS. And I randomly bumped into a wholesaler through Facebook and I did a couple of deals with him, but he was definitely like everything that's wrong with wholesaling. So I kind of learned those lessons early. And then I was curious how he kept finding these discounted properties. And with COVID, I just went down like the YouTube rabbit hole and uh, I figured out how people were doing it. I started hiring VAs, cold callers, uh, and then... I just started doing some deals and it was pretty fun. At the beginning, I will say wholesaling was like this crazy wild ride to me because I was making like big checks for what I felt like was, it was hard work, but there was no like financial risk or like substantial risk. So I thought it was a kind of great way. I guess my vision was more to build like a real estate investment company. And this would be a profitable way uh, to source deals and I don't know. I guess I'm happy because that is exactly how it's uh, turned out. And I have now also started buying some of the deals. Yeah, man, I absolutely love that. And it's uh, it's it's very similar to why I got started in real estate investing too. Well, at least wholesaling, right? At least going down this path is, you know, I, I sat down, I wrote down my visions and I was like, all right, what do I want to achieve? I want to own some rental properties. 
all right, what can I do right now to actually start pushing me in that direction? And wholesaling is a perfect path because you're becoming a master deal finder. So essentially you're going to have all the deals at your disposal to be able to buy and you can just cherry pick them and really pick out the ones you want. So now you're at that next level of like, all right, now I'm cherry picking. I'm taking the ones I want and you can still continue to wholesale the rest, even if you wanted to, or not even because you're, you get, you get all the great deals. You don't have to worry about finding them on MLS and having a shortcoming of deals. They're all at your disposal. So I did want to ask you though, Ben. So you said um, you were working with this guy when you first started and he was everything wrong with wholesaling. Can you dive into that a little bit? I'm very curious to what he was doing that was kind of wrong. Yeah. So it depends. I don't know how familiar like the listeners are with wholesaling, but a lot of times when you're a beginner in wholesaling, you can put a property under contract and you can be like, uh, you know, asking price 450, ARV 550, $90,000 from repairs. And that's like a really bad deal, you know? Yeah. And so he, he would bring me a deal and he'd be like, oh yeah, like find me a buyer for this because there's a huge spread. And I'm like, I'm not really sure there's any spread. Like I'm not really going to market that deal. So he was just uh, locking up so, deals just to lock them up. You're saying. Yeah. And yeah. honestly, he was marketing deals that he didn't have locked up. I don't, he, he just wasn't really doing it in my way of thinking that's like the ethical way. I listened to your podcast with uh, your acquisitions manager and we have a very similar approach. You have to find people that need help with different solutions and you have to figure out how to create a win-win with them. It's not just about winning for yourself. And I think he was all about winning for himself. And you know, that's just not really my mentality. I got you. Yeah. That, that completely makes sense, man. And like, you know, I'm, I'm out here trying to educate people on wholesaling, educate them on real estate. And I try as best as possible not to like seem like this is a get rich quick scheme because I would, we, we do these podcasts to show you how much work actually goes into it, how much, you know, struggle goes into it, how much you have to overcome to really learn the game. And you really can't come out here just guns blazing and just and just kind of doing whatever you want. There is a level of ethics that you really have to have if you're coming into the game. Otherwise, it's going to be a shortcoming for you. You're going to have people like Ben working with you and realize that, you know, I I don't want anything to do with this guy. I don't even want to be associated with him. I don't want my name to be next to his name because of who he is and his reputation that he's going to grow as in the, in the industry. You know, at the end of the day, like even, even for us, you know, we're, we're in Boston, right? It's, it's a harder, um, it's a harder area to get into, but it's, um, it's a very small knit community. You know, every real estate investor kind of knows each other. If, if you've been in the game for a little bit, you kind of know everybody and everyone kind of knows you. And that reputation that you have is going to spread like a wildfire. So you really need to like focus on actually growing a personal brand within that. Um, and, and, you know, having ethics alongside that is super important. So this guy you worked with, I'm sure he's not going to be in the business long. Uh, it's just not going to work out for him. Yeah. But I honestly do think that it was incredibly helpful to learn from other people's mistakes at the beginning. Cause then I just saw like, oh, there is a right way to do it. And like, we've gotten referrals from the sellers that we've worked with. And yeah, there definitely is a proper way to wholesale, but it's all about very, very clear and honest communication with the seller. Definitely. Yeah. hundred percent. I couldn't agree more there. And I, and I love that. And it, and it, it says a lot about, you know, your success as well, I'd say for sure. So, um, so I, I know that you are, you, you're doing, you were doing wholesaling. Uh, you're kind of moving away from that now, but before we talk about what you're kind of getting into, uh, talk about your wholesaling business. Like what, what does it look like? How is it set up? I know you said you got some virtual assistants, you got some cold callers. Uh, what, what does it look like right now? Yeah. So when we first started, we had crazy success with text message marketing. It was like so easy. I wish it still worked today, uh, but it doesn't really work anymore uh, that much in Massachusetts or definitely not to the same degree. And the new regulations are kind of making us shy away from it. But yeah, we were doing uh, text message, 
and cold calling. And we were doing just a lot of high equity lists. That was like our bread and butter uh, last year. We did really well. Now we're starting to get into the niche list with some good success too. But uh, yeah, that's mostly how it works. The Let's see, the way that our kind of company is structured is that we have an administrative VA who does various tasks and she runs our lead generation team too. We just kind of trained her to do that. I think right now we have four full-time cold callers and a text messenger. We do some email marketing and a little bit of direct mail. Uh, but I have to say, like the one thing that I learned from wholesaling is all the marketing strategies work. You just have to execute properly. Uh, and so I'm not really, there's no secret to finding a deal. I don't want people to think that most of the time I've just had very good success calling high equity multifamily. Uh, we like multifamily because the way that our negotiation works in our process, uh, we're valuing on the income approach. So that's typically where we're finding equity in the deals. Uh, but yeah, actually, I'm not sure to date that we have, we did one single family, but that was really like a development site. So we're really all land uh, and multifamily. Right now we have a dispositions manager and two other acquisitions managers. And then a couple months ago, we did expand our wholesaling kind of with the same methodology that we'll start wholesaling and then start investing uh, into the greater like Austin, Texas, San Antonio market. Uh, and there we have two acquisitions people and we hopefully will be getting our first couple deals under contract. Uh, and yeah, that's that's how we've been wholesaling for the most part. Yeah, that's really cool, man. That's uh, very similar to how we kind of have our operation set up, having the different 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 people and the different um, the jobs, really, the different places where they can be their their ultimate best self, uh, and they can get really just good at that one thing. Like you have someone in, in dispositions uh, for for the listeners out there that don't, don't know what that is. That's that's the person that's selling the deal, finding the other investor. They pretty much get a contract from the acquisitions team. The acquisition the acquisitions team locks up the deal pass it off to the disposition manage, management team. They go ahead and go have relations with, relationships with all the investors and they'll go and pitch them the deal and see if they're interested in buying the deal off you. So essentially like Ben broke his company down into all these different components and that's how you're able to have so much success and you put you know a dollar in and $2 come out and it's just like a cycle where every, it just kind of keeps going through and through and through. You're building consistency up by doing that. So that's really cool, man. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty curious to see why you determined, why you made the decision to, all right, I'm going to go to a different market. I'm going to go all the way to Texas, never mind you. You know, uh, what made you want to do that and what 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 would you say to someone out there that's in maybe your same shoes? What what makes what what is the thing that makes sense to actually do that? Like what what is is there a certain time is it when you hit all the the leads in your area? What is it? Yeah, okay. Well, first, I don't believe like if you can't find a deal in your local market, you should not go to another market. Uh, but personally, I'm an acquisitions person. Right. So I'm quite capable of finding deals in my local market. And I had been taking some trips during COVID to Austin. And I saw a lot of parallels in the Austin market to the Boston market, just like the cap rates are uber suppressed. I spoke with other wholesalers. It was the same thing, really hard to find a deal. But when you found one, the spread was huge. And I was like, okay, uh, I'm comfortable operating in that environment. And also, they're just experiencing tremendous growth. Uh, Boston is also growing, but I don't think quite as quickly. And so uh, after maybe like my second or third trip, I found somebody who I thought kind of shared like a similar background, you know, smart guy, entrepreneurial, wanted to get into real estate, but he couldn't find a deal. And I was like, oh, well, you can just profit by learning how to find a deal. And so we started working together and uh, 
he's been kind of like a beast. He's picking it up really fast. And that's kind of, that was my mentality behind going to another state, but I, I don't have like a vision to have like a national wholesaling uh, brand. I think like, I don't know, maybe we'll do one more state, but it's all like really dependent on the people, you know, the people are everything in business and finding good partners. So if I found another partner in another state, might go to it, but Texas is also huge. You know, it has plenty of markets. So I think for, for now we're, we're good in two States. Uh, and we actually just started doing a lot of work in New Hampshire too. So in many, in some ways we also expanded there. Yeah, man, that's nice. I definitely can appreciate that. So, um, so are you getting some consistency in the, in the Boston area as well? Like with deal flow, like are you doing like one deal a month, two deals a month? What is oh, it yeah. like right now? We probably do like three or four deals a month. Nice. Uh, but they're not all like super, I mean, we have done multiple six figure deals. So like definitely wholesaling is awesome, but sometimes it deals like 5k <laughs> and then right. uh, my dispositions manager wants to kill me, but, <laughs> but uh, it does happen around here. Sometimes the deals are smaller. So it just kind of depends. We're trying to do much better at not uh, having to put deals under contract and then having to back out of them at the beginning. That happens. I think when you're just learning markets and everything, but we're trying to move more into like, here's our guaranteed price and we will close and we will either close or assign it. Uh, and so that's kind of like a transition that we're uh, currently making to have, I don't know exactly what you would call it, but like our uh, percent that we do dispose of <laughs> should be much higher. Kind of like your back out rate. Yeah. I mean, that's that's something that we we focus on heavily. We're super conservative when we give someone a number and we're, we're very uh, aggressive to close. I mean, we haven't dropped out of any single contract for us. Uh, we make sure that 100% of the time we close on it no matter what. I mean, there was one time and it was a zoning issue. It wasn't even our fault. It was in the contract too. It was contingent on the zoning and it yeah. didn't come up. So we backed out of that one. But for us, we 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 almost refuse to back out. Once we, we commit to a homeowner, we want to follow through with that hundred percent of the time, no matter what. And uh, so I can, I can very highly appreciate the fact that you're trying to lean more towards that. Cause that's, that's again, going back to the, the, you know, uh, your ethics there of you, you, when you put, when you say you're going to do something, you should follow through with it. So I, yeah. I love that man that you're starting to lean more towards that. And I think that should be a really high focal point for you guys. And I mean, at the end of the day, if you do just go out there and just lock a bunch of stuff, you'll probably make more money off it. But at the end of the day, like, I just feel like that's not the best way of going about it for the longevity of it. You know, it's just going to cause more regulations, yeah. cause more heartache in the game. And uh, it's going to cause more stress over anything. Yeah. Our philosophy is when we get to a certain point with the seller, if we're still far apart on price, we just explain to them like, look, I've seen your property. This is the price that I'm going to guarantee to close out. We can make it the transaction as flexible and easy as you would like. Or I could see if maybe somebody else who I know would want to buy it at uh the price that you're looking for, right? So that way, when they're getting into it, they understand that we may not close, but they're still choosing to because they're like, no, I want top dollar. Uh, and maybe a month ago, we just started referring some of our leads to agents. So sometimes more of those leads are anyways being pushed to just working with an agent. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's good. Right, so you're an agent still though. You're not really practicing as an agent anymore. You're not taking listings or anything? I don't take any. I've never done a listing, so no, I don't take any. But uh, we have like a couple agents that we work with, and that actually has been going really well because I think last year we left a ton of money on the table by not referring to agents. But I mean, you live and learn. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the good thing, Ben, is I'm actually in the process of starting a brokerage right now that's going to be super investor, wholesale friendly. So we'll be able to take care of you any 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 which way, man. Okay. I'll have agents that. Would love to take your referrals all day long, so uh, we could definitely help you out there for that end. But now, nah, man, that's really cool. So it seems like you're you're really uh, 
driving along, you're getting some consistency going. And it, it's pretty funny, man. I know, uh, I don't know if, you, I mean, you watch TikTok, I mean, TikTok, YouTube, you learn about wholesaling from all these other people too. And their deal sizes are around five to 10,000. So it's, it's funny because I, I see the same thing in our marketplace. Like, you know, six figures on a deal is definitely possible in our marketplace. I don't know about other markets. It sounds like Texas might be a good go for that. Um, and it's still super fair for everybody. They're, they're win-win situations. Like yeah. it, it may seem because that the number is so large that, that they're not, and we're taking advantage, but you're really not. Like you're, I, I got this one client right now, for example, that um, we're moving them all the way to Tennessee. We're telling we're helping them A to Z on the deal. We're, we're packing up their stuff for them. We're hiring the movers. We're hiring the the, the moving companies to, to actually take their stuff and bring it all the way over to Tennessee. We found them a house there. And we do a lot of things in between to really make sure they're fully taken care of. And there's there, no agent's going to really go the extra distance to take care of all that stuff for them. So they need a company like yours and mine to actually go that extra step there. So uh, I just thought it's pretty interesting. I mean, um, I'm, I'm sure when you first got started with wholesaling, I know you learned from your friend. So he was already in the Boston area. But uh, I know when I first got into it, I was thinking five, 10,000. That's a really nice uh, wholesaling fee right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the truth is, it's very expensive to acquire a wholesale deal. I don't yeah. know the exact cost, but somewhere in between like a thousand and five thousand, depending on your marketing method. Yeah. Uh, and so making five thousand on a deal is like, eh, not that. I have to do a lot of volume. I don't know if you've had a guest on that has talked about uh, like wholesaling to hedge funds, but that's like a totally different model that's super high volume. And that's something that we're going to be looking more into as we get established in Texas. Uh, yeah, because I think a lot of, I'm not sure hedge funds are buying in the Northeast, but out in uh, out in Texas, and I have some buddies down in Florida that are wholesaling too. And there it's totally different. Like they'll buy at like 95% of ARV. Whoa. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the, I they would happily buy those on the market for a hundred percent. So if you think about it like that, you know, I know a couple of investors that would love a property at market value. Like they, 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 they're okay with that. And they're, they're very comfortable with that because they're not looking for uh, something that needs work, looking for some turnkey uh, that they can just buy. And it, it makes sense to add, get a commercial loan on and uh, they cash flow, So they're happy with it. And they can build appreciate uh, equity through paying down the mortgage with the renters. So it makes sense for some people, hedge funds, it makes sense for. So I, I agree. I think that's a, it's a great event, um, opportunity for wholesalers is to reach out to uh, hedge funds and start working closely with them if they're, if they're in your area. So yeah, man, uh, I think that's a, that's a good point on what you're going towards. So that's pretty cool. Well, what made you want to get into hedge funds is just uh, over in Texas, you've met a couple of them. Uh, honestly, it's because I have a buddy. I don't know if you know him, Kyle Connor, but he's also a wholesaler based out of Boston. He does his wholesaling virtually in Connecticut and then runs a company like DYI Wholesaling, where it's like a turnkey solution for people that want to get into wholesaling. And he was just joking around how like he has clients that are crushing it right off the bat. It's because I think they're down in like Jacksonville wholesaling to hedge funds. Uh, and so, so it's kind of like got me thinking. And then after a couple of times of talking with them, I was like, I should really look more into it. And I spoke with a couple of hedge funds and it seems pretty easy, uh, but I'm not like super aggressive, like trying to expand the, the business. It just will gradually grow. So I think maybe at some point next year, that's something we'll uh, try to get much more into. Yeah. And I know that you mentioned too, that like, you're, you're not really trying to spread out too far in terms of different States and stuff. Why, why, why is that? Uh, well, mostly because my original vision was just to create like a profitable uh, acquisition funnel. And we've definitely done that in this area or in the Boston area. And so now I just want to kind of move, uh, I guess like vertically integrate. And so 
that's kind of more the the model that we're transitioning into. So we're trying to go deeper into the market and less so like wide and narrow. Yeah, I can definitely appreciate that, man. I've been uh, on the fence on going horizontal or vertical with it myself. And, uh, you know, I, I find, uh, you know, I, I've been trying to just keep it. We're in Boston. Why not just stick here and just keep growing here? You know, build the brokerage, uh, build the flipping company, uh, build the everything that goes in between with it. You know, there's so many different uh, ancillary businesses that you can start and grow uh, with this business. Once you once you have this kind of marked out, that's why I love wholesaling. That's why I love becoming, it's, it's essentially a marketing company. You're just getting really good at finding good deals. Once you have that marked out, like the sky's the limit for anything you want to do after that, um, which is pretty cool. You know, it puts yourself in a really good spot and um, you could just keep doing what you're doing and slowly grow. If you want in different markets, test them out or even just stay and you could still cash flow and and, uh, and make it hands off. You know, it sounds like you're pretty hands off with your business now, except kind of for like the, the growth. Is that right? Yeah. And I will say what I think I'm more like inspired by is when I hear other people on podcasts, when they're talking about, uh, it's very similar, like wholesaling, whatever, but they're just the acquisitions company for like syndicators for apartment building, self-storage, mobile home parks. And I'm like, okay, that is really a great way that I would like to kind of repurpose the little business model that I've built and kind of funnel different types of assets through it. Uh, and so that's why I'm not like, you know, I don't need to go nationwide. I really want to figure out how to scale up the deal size that we're doing. Uh, and another thing that we kind of recently got into was rezoning deals. And I know you just had Andrew on your podcast uh, and he actually introduced me to a friend of his who we've partnered up with. And so like those type of deals where they're just if they work out, higher dollar amount deals, that's really, I think, a really good fit for us uh, and doing a little bit less volume, just a little bit easier to manage, I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And we're kind of leaning more towards that too, uh, you know, uh, quality over quantity. You know, if you can get uh, just a couple home runs a year, you're, you're chilling. You know, if you get a couple of good six-figure deals in a year, that's more than enough, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, like, I, I agree with that. I think... Um, Going that route is definitely a great option. It's just an expensive option. I know like the rezoning isn't as much. I mean, there's a little bit of expenses uh, to, to do due diligence probably for that. But like for syndications, uh, you got to listen to the podcast I had uh, probably a few weeks back with um, Matt and John. Uh, they did a syndication deal and we talked all through it and they spent, I think it was like 100K just to, in due diligence period, not even before they bought it. Um, you know, and although they made a bunch of money even at purchase, you know, I think it was like, they got like 10 or 15% in equity right off the bat, uh, yeah. which was crazy for a syndication deal. You know, you're talking, um, I think it was $30 million, 132 units. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty, pretty large deal, uh, but you know, it's, it's, you can make a lot more. So I agree like that, that those ones you could make a crazy amount off and to them it's, it's pennies, yeah. you know, it's, it's nothing, you know, for to give someone like yourself a hundred thousand, 200,000, even half a million off one of those deals. Sometimes that doesn't even matter. That's that can be pennies. That could be thousands to them uh, yeah. working. in that's those such high numbers. And you're working with big companies, you're working with hedge funds and you're rounding up funds from multiple different people and you're raising the capital. So that extra half million dollars, like it's, it's, it's there when you're talking $30 million, like it's, it's, it's not too much when you're looking at it like that. Yeah. And we actually have uh, successfully syndicated deals with partners before. It's definitely smaller ones, yeah. uh, like triple deckers in the Boston area uh, and one like nine unit. And so immediately when we did that, I was like, oh, this is a highly scalable. And if oh, my yeah. role is just to bring the deal, uh, it doesn't really matter how big the deal gets as long as my partner is capable of closing. And so that's kind of uh, 
been an interesting thought process. And recently I've been poking around into some other assets uh, and kind of looking for partners for them. Yeah, man, hundred percent. Like I don't, uh, we're leaning more towards that same way where we don't even wholesaling anymore. We're actually just partnering up with people on deals and uh, making it where it makes sense where we can get a wholesale fee up front, but also equity in the listing on the back end as well sometimes. So there's uh there's so many ways. And if you want to get a buy and hold too, you can do the same, same mechanics that way. Um, yep. And the opportunities are endless when you have the deal, you know, really, they really are. And it, at the end of the day, like how I see it, if you're going to wholesale it, you're, you're leaving money on the table. Uh, once you're in shoes like yourselves and mine, it's like, you're just going to leave money on the table if you're wholesaling. Cause obviously these people are buying it, are going to buy it to make money. They're not, not buying it to do that. So at minimum you go wholetail it and buy it yourself and put it on the market just by raising up some capital. And it sounds like you're having some good success raising capital. Um, you know, do you want to share any strategies of how you go about raising money? Yeah, sure. So I'm not, I'm just getting it, raising money and what has helped us so far is that we don't didn't necessarily have a track record of like, you know, we've bought these eight buildings, but what we do have is a track record of consistently finding deals, making a decent assignment. And then the next investor making, you know, a lot off the deal too. So when we run private investors through all of the deals that we've wholesaled and partnered with people on, they seem to be very comfortable with our track record. And so uh, the first deal that we should be closing on in a few weeks is an eight unit in Gardner. And that we finance 100% with private money. Uh, that deal was just quite discounted, like 40% of ARV. And the property doesn't really need any work. Uh, and there's plenty of rental upside too. So that was just a great deal. And it was funny, originally when we had this deal under contract, it was going to be like another six figure spread. And I have two other partners. There was definitely some uh, internal discussion, like, should we buy it? Should we wholesale it? It's low risk to wholesale it, whatever. But actually my girlfriend, who's also a real estate investor, she was listening to our company meeting. And afterwards she was like, Ben, like, I think you guys are crazy. Like people are hunting just to find like one burr a year. And you guys are like, it's a burr, but it's not good enough. <laughs> you know? And she's like, you just need to do the deal. And she was doing a development project uh, in Roatan, which is an island off of Honduras. And I thought about it and I was like, yeah, she's doing that deal. I mean, that's high risk. And she did really well on the deal, but I was like, yeah, it's probably good. We can take a step out of our comfort zone and start buying properties. And so that was kind of the first step. And now it's become like a snowball. Uh, and mostly the way that we find investors is we just talk to people, you know, and a lot of people aren't necessarily wanting to make the leap into real estate, but they're like very happy with like a 12% uh, return. And so when we just underwrite our deals, we're just like, okay, we'll give 12%. One thing that I definitely want to get into is slightly bigger deals where we can actually take on partners who have equity. On the smaller deals, I don't really think that it makes that much sense because I'd rather just be like, look, I run a business. I'm going to make sure to get you your 12% return. But at the end of the day, if something goes wrong, I just... I just think it's lower risk for everyone. I can guarantee them their money, uh, but I don't necessarily want to be tied to them in like a you know three hundred thousand dollar asset. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, uh, and so, but I would like to kind of scale up a little bit. And uh, I think one thing that I mentioned to you is we're starting to get into short term rentals, and specifically, we're trying to take small apartment buildings, like six to twenty unit buildings. And as we go through and turn over the tenants, slowly reposition those into Airbnb units. And so maybe as we do a few more of those, I think that'll be a great opportunity to bring on uh, partners uh, and actually share the equity.
Yeah, no, I, I, I get that, man. I think, um, when you're raising private money, I feel like it's, that's really good for like uh short term, you know, like even if, if you're going to uh, either do a flip or you have a plans to refinance it, doing the first strategy where you buy uh, rehab it, rent, refinance and repeat. Uh, so you can go ahead and get a cash flow refinance, pay them all off. Uh, and then, then now it's just your asset. You don't have to worry about it as much, uh, having other people involved and, uh, or you can take that money and reinvest into another property if they're open to that as well. Uh, and then you just have a, you know, a regular government loan on it, you know, at 3% interest rate or something. Well, maybe that's a commercial unit. So commercial loan, you'd probably get, so maybe a little bit higher on that one, but still, you'd still cash flow very, very significantly off that I would imagine. So it, it would still be nice there. Uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty curious on the short-term rentals. It seems like short-term rentals are booming right now. And they, they had some kind of slowdowns because of COVID, of course, and the people that were smart obviously persevered, of course. But what do you see the future of short-term rentals with COVID and everything, all the new changes up because of it and people's more, more, more or less people's perception on traveling and uh, tourism in general? Well, to me, it seems like short-term rentals, well, I think very early on in COVID, it was like for the investors, it was a brutal bloodbath and I'm sure it wiped out a lot of people. But I actually think that the data shows that they're like uh, booming in terms of how many people are using them. And so I think people are looking at it as maybe like a safer alternative or uh, a different uh, parts of COVID when, you know, more or less, you know, people were like not wanting to leave their homes. I think it maybe they thought it was like safer than going to a hotel. But I think overall, like short-term rentals, they're here to stay. And so we're just trying to identify opportunities to kind of grab some disproportionate upside in markets that otherwise we would probably have no interest in investing in. Uh, And so I'll give you an example, like in Western Massachusetts in the Berkshires, there we're seeing plenty of opportunities where a property would maybe uh, cash flow a few hundred bucks a month. When you reposition it to an Airbnb, it'll be like two to $3,000 a month. And when we're underwriting for Airbnb, we're extremely conservative. So I expect that it will beat these numbers. But uh, we just, there's a platform called like AirDNA. You can look yep. at the comps. You're just running a business. So you're going to undercut your competition. You're going to deliver a better uh, quality product, better user experience. Uh, and one other area, we haven't done this yet, but this is kind of, well, one thing that got us into short-term rentals was more like glamping. And so right now we like these small apartment buildings, maybe a single family home, but typically with a single family home, we'd be looking for something where it's on like five to 10 acres and in maybe like in the back in the woods, we'll be able to add a few yurts or potentially like an off-grid A-frame. And so again, it's just like typical real estate investing. We're looking for opportunities to create value uh, and force appreciation. And the one thing we have not done this yet, so I don't want to like guarantee it, but We've gotten very uh, positive encouragement from commercial lenders about how they're valuing these properties with Airbnb income. And so we like that game. <laughs> and so we oh, yeah. They, they value much higher with the, if they look at like uh, the income approach on it, seeing how much it's actually making in revenue versus, uh, you know, the, the uh, uh, houses in the area are going for. They, they, don't, they look at it as a, as a business, you know, and it's much different. They're going to lend differently on that. And they're going to give you most likely more because you're getting more money than a traditional rental. Yeah. So we're just, we always make sure we underwrite the deal as if it wasn't a short-term rental, we could still burr it. So we make sure everybody gets their money back. And then we're hoping that it's like a larger cash out refi situation because we're uh, including the Airbnb income. 
Yeah, man. I, I absolutely love that. I'm actually looking into the same things myself, uh, looking to build out some glamping, some yurts uh, over in over in New Hampshire and Maine as well. Um, it seems like a crazy opportunity not to. It's super low uh, barrier of entry, uh, especially if you're already buying the properties with acreage where you can just, you already have the acreage, you already have the land, you already have the house, it's already cash flowing good. And now I can go throw a 20, 30, 40, $50,000 year on here and make my you know, a hundred percent return in the first year, right off that alone. Uh, so, and then next year is just complete cash flow. Uh, so man, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible to see what the short-term uh, rental game can actually bring you. Uh, what's your thoughts on uh, Airbnb arbitrage? Oh, with the rentals, you mean? Yeah, we're like, just going. It's, uh, you're, you're getting uh, commercial leases with homeowners, uh, so you can, you yeah, know, Airbnb I their think, properties. I think for some people, maybe that is a, a great business model or like Airbnb management. But for us, that is not aligned with our long term goals of building a real portfolio. Right. Uh, if you don't have the ability to put a deal like that together, maybe that's a good place to start. But uh, I've thought about it, but we're definitely skipping over that step. Yeah, no, I mean, it seems like that, especially where you guys are at. You got you guys can raise the capital, you guys can buy these properties, and yeah. you know, you are you already kind of have your portfolio and experience built into that. So it's kind of uh it's it's the next step for you guys, definitely would we'll just yeah. go right to it. I do think maybe with land that could be a lot more interesting. Uh there I'm sure that there are plenty of landowners that would let you put non-permanent structures on them. Uh so that could be something to look at. That's kind of more like what hip camp is though. Are you familiar? No, I'm not. What's hip camp? It's like a platform. It's like Airbnb, but for glamping and camping. Okay. So it's like somebody will own a farm and they have 10 acres in the back and there's a couple tent sites and you pay like 20 bucks or whatever. Uh, and so I think that that idea maybe is good. And like, for example, if you had a school bus and you could move it, that might be a great way to start. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I mean, I've been looking into uh, creative financing, seller financing on land out in Maine, New Hampshire. It's, it's, you know, people are very open to it over there. Uh, yeah. Cause they just have a bunch of land sitting there trying to sell it. No one wants to buy it really. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a lot of opportunity out there and um, people would love to, you know, rent a yurt out there. No problem. You know, people love that actually. It's actually more preferred than a house, you know, for, for some people. So if you, it's all about the experience, you know, they're going out there, they're hiking, they're adventuring. So if you can, you know, provide what they're looking for, I mean, the, the sky's the limit there. And if that's it, it's a win-win there. So, um, and they, in the, in the cash on cash, there is just incredible for yurts and uh, you know, buses and uh, whatever you you can put on the property that just seems cool and, and hipstery. People are going to go there and enjoy it and spend a bunch of money on it. Yeah, definitely. That's cool, man. So it seems like you kind of got your, your hands in a bunch of things right now. I mean, your wholesale business is pretty uh, turnkey at this point. It's kind of growing and scaling on its own and it's in just turning out deals and you're moving more into, um, you know, trying to, trying to scale your wholesale business in a way that's going to bring you more profitable and long-term deals. Um, you know, like, like syndications, finding syndications and rezoning type properties. And also you have your wholesale business, like, uh, seeking out these type of properties in, uh, new, um, New Hampshire. And so you can put these yurts and stuff out there, or is that something like, Honestly, I just do it all manually. Uh, either I'll be like emailing agents, calling on MLS deals. The one thing that I, why I like Airbnb so much is it takes me like 30 minutes to find an interesting Airbnb investment. And that's just by going on Zillow. You just need to know what to look for. Uh, and so I'm not even like looking for highly discounted properties. The numbers work. Like you were saying, like I'm finding plenty of deals where you can get a uh, 25 to 50% cash on cash return. And that's just like with the turnkey house. So I think yeah. if you do your research using a tool like AirDNA, you really look at the comps there. It's very, very easy to get started, I think. And 
everyone that I know that has attempted this has done quite well. And so, and so you know, I'm giving it a try too. Yeah, well, might as well, right? Uh, got all the all the ships going that way. Might as well jump on board and go with it. So I love that. Do you want to? Um, do you have a, a like one of your craziest deals of wholesaling? Maybe you want to break down. Maybe like the biggest uh, struggles you had to go through, the biggest roadblocks. Uh, some somewhere we can learn a lot from. Do you have any any deals you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Let me think about it just for in terms of one that went well or one that did not go well. Uh, it's it's whatever we can learn the most from because you know like I think the the one that was like the most stressful is the best to tell someone about because they can actually learn a lot from it. And a lot of the listeners here are are new to real estate investing. They haven't really gone through it. So the more value you can provide, the better, you know? Okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. So I think that uh, this deal did go well, but is by far our most complicated deal. Uh, it was just a piece of land in the suburb of Boston that we contacted the owner through a platform called Reonomy, which we actually no longer use, but it's very similar to PropStream. So it's like a data aggregator. Uh, I think that we reached the guy via email and we hopped on a call with him. Super nice guy. I think he kind of like, he inherited the property and we put it under contract at a price that seemed good. We marketed the property and the spread was huge, but it's contingent on getting approvals because it's not buildable by right. The, the deal started going a little sideways because as it turned out, like he didn't have full authority to sign. And as we were trying to get into the purchase and sale, it got really, really complicated where we were dealing with multiple heirs. Uh, and I think that in that situation, uh, that deal we did like nine months ago and we just signed the purchase and sale two days ago, I think. So that was one, I think a very good example of like, when people talk about wholesaling, you know, people are very focused on like where you find the deal, right? But the money is really made in the close. Kind of like what you talk about, how you're you're going all the way out of your way to get movers, pack up the person's house. Like that ultimately I think is where the value is created like as a wholesaler. Uh, and luckily I have a business partner who's really good at that. <laughs> I'm really <laughs> not the best. I like the first part of the deal. But uh I do think that it's it's really important to understand the closing process a lot better and uh, not necessarily be scared away when your attorney is telling you, well, like you can't sign this document. He doesn't even have the right to sign it. It's more of just, again, that's a problem that needs to be solved. You need to find the right people uh, and you just need to put in a little bit more effort. And that's what you're getting paid by the end buyer to do. And so I think in this situation, the end buyer really appreciated our efforts I think it will create a, a win-win. Uh, yeah. So I think that that was pretty, that, that was a good deal. Yeah. But, it's uh, definitely I, pretty interesting. Yeah. I will say that deal worked out. I've done other deals that got, when they got really hairy, they didn't work out. And I think as a kind of company policy, if we ever get into a deal and it gets hairy and the seller, they, they want to back out, we just let them back out. And we just explain like, uh, for whatever the problem was, uh, it, you know, it's okay. The deal didn't work out and we try to still help them in any way that we can. But I think that's also important. Uh, I am part of a, like a virtual wholesaling, uh, like Lauren Hardy's course. And she talks about like, sometimes I think she has like sued people to enforce the contract. And that's like not what we're about. I mean, maybe if something horrible happened where they took 
advantage of us for some reason. But in general, you know, just the people's property, if they don't want to sell for whatever reason, like I think it's a very important lesson that should let the seller back out. And who knows, like that may come back full circle. They may refer somebody else. They may ultimately want to sell in the future. Uh, but yeah, we tried to uh, kind of do right by the seller in that way. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that one. I think um, I think people take it a little bit too far when they're talking about getting memorandums on properties and they're trying to like they're trying to force the seller to sell it to you. Like I can get it sometimes because you do spend a lot of time, effort, and money to do diligence on properties. So if the seller is really like just trying to go behind your back and get a better offer or something like that, then that's understandable. But for most parts, like it's probably they just don't want to sell anymore or something came up personally with life and they just don't want to do it anymore. So I agree. Like my guys tell me that too. Like, Oh, what if, what if the seller backs at my acquisitions guys, I should say, but if the seller backs out, I'm like, honestly, if they want to back out, I mean, we can try to enforce it. We can try to go that route, but honestly, I don't think that's a good idea for our long-term um, position in this game. Like it's just not, it's not going to do right by the the homeowner. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to help them. And if they don't want our help, that's fine. No problem. Have a great day. You know, we, we, we know our worth and we know our value just like yourself. And if they don't need it, they don't want it. That's okay. That's no problem. I mean, there's a bunch of other people that would want to work with us. So at the end of the day, it's uh it's, it is how you treat people. And if they want to back, if they want to walk away, you know, I, I get it. I, I, I would let them walk as well. So that's dope. That's dope. So uh, I did have one question on that deal though. So as you talked about, most people are interested in how you acquired the deal. Um, now it is definitely more important of actually creating the deal and making your way through it. But you said you emailed them. Did you cold email them? I haven't actually heard of that as a marketing strategy. Oh yeah. So we, we cold email people. Really? Uh, we've done a few deals that way. Uh, it requires having a really good system with a VA because uh, obviously nobody wants to send like a thousand emails today by themselves. Right. But, you know, we have a virtual assistant that handles the front part of it. And we even now have her trained on like a few of the responses. So she just sends us the qualified leads. But uh, that platform that I mentioned, Reonomy, has very good, in general, very good emails for people. Like unlike all the other skip tracing services that we've tried, I don't know where they're getting their emails from, but they seem to be more accurate. And so we actually did, I think, two or three deals using that platform to email. Uh, oh, that's pretty cool. And yeah, I mean, it's the same thing as when you cold call somebody. You know, do you have any interest in selling? Would you be opposed to selling the property? You just start a conversation. You see where it goes. And uh, like the owner of this property, he was also he owns a vineyard out in California. And I think this was just a situation he inherited the land, and for whatever reason, like at the time, couldn't agree with his siblings to sell it or not. So when we brought him a deal. Uh, he thought it made sense. And it turned out to be a really great deal because the fact that it wasn't buildable by right, we found somebody that wanted to go through the zoning process. And so the lot is worth a lot. It's a very expensive suburb. Oh yeah. I mean, land is uh, super highly sought out over in the Boston and surrounding areas. I mean, it's, it's hard to find. So, I mean, if, if you can find one, I mean, it's, you can definitely sell for a good amount of money. So that, that is a, uh, that is definitely, uh, I can only imagine, you know, I can only imagine. That's really cool about email marketing though. Are you using uh, softwares like uh, MailChimp or something like that? Uh, I think we're just sending them through Gmail. Okay. I know it's very low tech and not very exciting, but it worked. And uh, I don't know like how much of it. So I don't run our marketing. My business partner does. Gotcha. And I don't know how much of that we're still doing. I know like right now, the way that we're really getting our best deals is high equity probate and uh, there's one more distress list that i'm forgetting offhand but it's nothing like 
crazy. Like this is what everybody else is doing. I bet you're marketing to the same list. Uh, it doesn't really matter. I think how many people market to it. Cause it's all just kind of luck. Like it's number one, you have to get the person to pick up their phone and talk to you and then you have to build rapport. And so I don't normally think that, uh, the list really matters. Like personally, I've done enough cold calling that with, in two to three minutes of talking to somebody on the phone, I immediately know whether this is going to be an interesting wholesale deal or not. Uh, and so for a while, that's kind of how I was doing it. I would just hop on a dialer like Mojo. Uh, one time I used call tools, but I'm not a tech person. And I think <laughs> so I'll stick to Mojo. Uh, but I just was talking with people. I would find one lead, do the meeting. Okay, that's an interesting deal. And then, uh, you know, I would just cycle through. And now I've just been taking that same mentality, but... Uh, like a couple of weeks ago, I was calling RV parks and now I'm going to do my first RV park deal. And next I'm going to try the same thing with self-storage. It's just kind of fun. Like once you understand how it works, like I'm not going to lose money <laughs> putting an RV park under contract. So I might as well give it a go. Uh, and it also, I like it because when you get into a different asset, then you get to expand who you're talking with. So just my natural networking and then uh, my network is growing. I, I like it a lot. I like to learn. <laughs> I have ADD, so I don't want to just do the same thing over and over again. Right, dude. I'm the same way. I, I keep trying to branch out to do all this different stuff. And I'm like, I'm always got to remind myself like, all right, hey, stay focused. Like get this shit done. Bring it to the finish line. Like, oh man, back when I was in college, I started, I was starting a supplement company, a marketing company. Um, and I had a couple different new random, like new in innovation products. So like, yeah. dude, finally, when I was like in real estate, like, all right, I got to stay on this for as long as I can. <laughs> yeah. Totally. But uh, yeah, man, I hear that. So um, I don't want to keep it too long, man. It's been awesome uh, breaking down uh, everything and, you know, your, your whole experience so far in real estate, really cool learning about it. You know, what is one piece of advice you'd give to someone that first is getting started in real estate? do not be afraid to pick up the phone and just call a seller. A lot of people are afraid. And I think that's just because, uh, I don't know, there's like a whole kind of stigma around cold calling. I will say the tip that I have for that, that works 100% of the time is if you're new, start cold calling with somebody else, set the expectation that everybody's going to tell you to F off and that nobody wants to sell. So your expectations are really, really low. And you should be excited when somebody just says that they would consider selling. And then it becomes like a fun game. That's how I've trained all the people on my team. Uh, I've cold called with all of them. I think that's the best way to do it. Uh, and yeah, that's how I would recommend getting started. Love that, man. Love that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that piece of advice right there for sure. So where can more people find more about yourself and maybe even connect with you? Uh, we have a website. Uh, archerbuys.com. You can probably contact me through there. And then my email is archerdealflow at gmail.com. But I'm not on social media. You can probably find me on Facebook, Ben Simon. Uh, sometimes I look for deals on there, but I'm not really on social media. So the best thing to do is just uh, email me and I'll be happy to shoot you my cell phone number and we can connect. Awesome, man. Awesome. That's, that's great. So uh, man, thank you so much. That's uh, all the questions I have. And I don't want to take too much of your time. Uh, it's been really great learning about your journey. And, you know, I personally has gained a lot of value personally just from listening to it. So I know the listeners has have as well. So, man, really, I really appreciate you being here. And thank you so much. Yeah, it's definitely fun to catch up.